Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Well, good morning, Life in the Sun. Today is Palm Sunday. And actually, today's message is, uh, I'm really excited to give it because Palm Sunday is so rich. And especially as we move into this week, which is considered Holy Week, and it's also, for the Jews, it's Passover week. And we know that as, you know, being Christians, there, a lot of stuff just takes place during this week. Amen? And so we're going to be covering a lot of information this morning. But there is a goal at the end that I'm going to bring you to, and it's going to draw us all closer to the heart of God that he has for each one of us. So my name is Chris Brown. I'm just one of the leaders here at Life in the Sun, and I'd like to just welcome everybody this morning. Welcome uh, to all the members and uh, new visitors that are here this morning. So let's just go ahead and get started, and we'll pray. Amen? Father, we just come before you, and we thank you for this day that you've given to us, Lord. And in fact, this day is very significant, for it's the day that you chose to turn your face towards Jerusalem. This was the day that you entered into the gates and you began your journey to the cross. And Father, as a result of that sacrifice of your son, we are now, as we just went through all the songs this morning, we are able to be free by what you did on this day. So Father, I just pray that it's your words that are spoken this morning. Lord, I humble myself before you, Lord. And just, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come and anoint the words, anoint the ears, anoint the listener, so that we can grow in faith and grow in confidence that we have in you, in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, Palm Sunday, I'm calling this Christ's Triumphal Procession. And the goal today is really to focus on triumph. And if you really begin to think about Jesus' move towards the cross, as we draw closer to the middle of the week, it actually gets kind of dark, doesn't it? We see him get captured by uh, the Sanhedrin, the, the, the temple guard. They seize him. They arrest him. They take him uh, before uh, the, the, uh, the, the priest. They take him before the Sanhedrin. They take him before Pilate, and then eventually to the Roman governor, and then to the cross. So we're very familiar with that part of the story, but we fail to recognize that sometimes in our lives, every single day, we have these moments where there's that same darkness, that same hopelessness where we're like, wait a minute, I thought this Christian life was supposed to be victorious. And I'm here to tell you, it is. Amen? But it takes a sacrifice of faith on our part in order to grab a hold of that faith and to grab a hold of that hope. And it's mornings like this where we come and we get rejuvenated and we get rebaptized into the word of God, and we can hopefully today walk out a little bit more confident than we walked in this morning. Amen? Amen. So we're going to cover, this morning, we're just going to cover three main topics. Passover week, again, Holy Week. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the crucifixion. And then this last subject, it was just something that I, during my study, I, I came up uh, uh, came across this, a, a study. Anybody familiar with uh, uh, Ray Vanderlyn? He's, uh, uh, he's, what he does is he takes people over to the Holy Land and he does all these tours through Jerusalem and he does it in a kind of a Bible study fashion. 
But it's really neat because you're right in the middle of all this history as he's giving these messages, and it, it's really impacting. But one of the, the studies that he did was the Imperial Roman Triumph. And what that covered specifically was whenever a Caesar was coronated, they would do this huge procession. And so I'm going to be covering a little bit of that as well. So it starts with Jesus first coming into Bethany six days before the Passover. So this technically would have been probably Friday night or Friday afternoon, which was the ninth of Nisan. The month of Nisan uh, in the Jewish calendar was actually the first. It would be like our January. It's the beginning of the new year. And if you can reflect back into the book of Moses, specifically the book of Exodus, we see that God had set forth a calendar starting, believe it or not, with the Jews escaping out of Egypt. That's really, that's where this started. The first of Nisan started right before the Israelites were, were uh, uh, brought out of Egypt. The Passover, we know, is based on uh, God's deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. And therefore, towards this Holy Week is actually, we're beginning to see Jesus fulfill the purpose of the Passover. Amen? So on the 10th of Nisan is today. It is actually Palm Sunday, but at the same time, it's what the Jews would consider Lamb Selection Day, Saturday night or Sunday. Because a little disclaimer and a little bit of understanding, when it comes to the Jewish calendar, their days start at 6 p.m. Our days start at 12 a.m., right? So there's like a six-hour difference. So we get kind of confused a little bit when reading some of this because we go to bed on Friday night and wake up on Saturday. They go to bed on, on Saturday and wake up on Saturday. So it's a little different in our concept on, on what we have to look at. But it's really interesting what follows. Amen? So on Lamb Selection Day, imagine you and your family. On Lamb Selection Day, you take your, your kids and you go down to the local uh, corral where they, they have the the, the sheep there for you to, to, to purchase. And so you're looking, you go up and you just tell the guy, yes, we're looking for a one-year-old lamb, spotless, without blemish. And so he brings you a few samples and you look at them and they kind of look like this. They're kind of cute. Amen? <laughs> and the, the interesting thing about this concept is you get to take that lamb home with you. Now, if you have little kids, what do little kids love? Soft little cuddly animals, right? And that looks pretty soft and cuddly. And, it, you know, lambs, you know, they're not really violent. They're not going to, you know, run all over the house and cause trouble. By the end of the four days, you're like, get this thing out of here. But normally, it's probably just laying around looking at you saying, you know, please don't sacrifice me on Thursday. Amen? But this is right out of Exodus chapter 12, so let's read together. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. 
The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either sheep or goat, with no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the fourth day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. So again, imagine being with your family, and they're getting used to this, uh, this little lamb, and then you have to be the one to say, I'm sorry, kids, but we got to take this down to the temple, and we have to sacrifice it. And of course, the kids begin to cry, and they go, Why? Why do we have to do this? And they did not know what we know. We could look at this and go, yeah, but we understand that this was a representation of who Jesus, you got to remember, they didn't have that. They didn't understand what was happening to them. And they just knew that this was something that God had called them to do. And if we remember the, the Passover story, they were to, to sacrifice the, uh, the lamb, and then they were to put the blood over the doorpost of their house so that the angel of death would not go into their house and, uh, and kill them, that it would pass over. That's where we get the term Passover, because the angel of death would pass over that house and go to the next one and look for the blood. Amen? So next slide. So this is our next step in the process is Jesus then turns his heart away from Bethany, and he begins to go into Jerusalem. And it says in Zechariah chapter 9, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, for your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And that actually, the, the scripture, but anyway, the, uh, the scripture that, I, that I'd like to focus on is actually where, where Jesus was coming in, and it said that they were... Uh, that where he says even the stones would cry out, even if they didn't recognize who he was. But he said something else, or they said something else in that scripture where it says that they were shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna in that time, you have to remember that time, was a very, there was a political situation in Israel, right? Rome had control over Jerusalem. And to them, Hosanna simply meant God save us. And it was a, uh, a, a, a Jewish zealot saying. That was like, you know, for, for us uh, Americans here on Guam, it's like running around Guam with the American flag around World War II saying, save us, right? Because we have an occupier, the Japanese, and they're here and they're over us and they're oppressing us and we want to get, that's what they were looking at. They were looking at Jesus and going, Finally, our Messiah is here, and he's going to wipe out the Romans, and he's going to set us free. But we all know the story as well. We know that Jesus was there for a very different purpose, because physical occupation of a, of a governing uh, uh, body in this world, we know, is temporary. But the one thing that Jesus came to do was to save us from the one thing that, will, that could kill us for an eternity, and that is our sin. So Jesus came with that one goal and purpose when he, when he came into Jerusalem. And this is what he said when he came into Jerusalem. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. 
How often I have wanted to gather your children together as, as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And now, look, your house is abandoned and desolate, for I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. See, God is reaching back into history. Jesus is looking at what happened over the last thousands of years before he stepped in here. But again, like I said, he knew that he was here for one purpose and one purpose only. And his eyes were set on the cross. He was moving towards something that most of us wouldn't even understand at the time. If we were in that Roman society, we wouldn't understand why Jesus wasn't getting off of that donkey and starting to take care of the Roman soldiers that were around him. I mean, he's the son of God, right? He doesn't even need a sword. He could just speak a word and they would be under his control. But Jesus didn't do that. And even John the Baptist, at the beginning of, of John, he declared, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, John said this under the power of the Holy Spirit. He had no idea, I don't think, really what that meant. It's just my guess. Because at the time, yes, they understood the, the, uh, uh, the distinction of the sacrificial lamb or the, uh, the Passover lamb. But I don't think they understood, now, wait a minute, how could a person be the Pesach or the sacrificial lamb? But as Jesus' ministry grew, I think they began to put two and two together. So on the 11th of Nisan, I'm just going to go through a couple of slides. This is just moving through Passion Week. This is not all-inclusive. These are just some highlights uh, of what Jesus was doing at the time as he moved his, towards the cross. So we see on the, on the left-hand side, that's where Jesus cursed the fig tree when he was on his way back into Jerusalem. Because if you remember, uh, when Jesus came into Jerusalem on that day when Palm Sunday uh, he actually went back to Bethany and then came into Jerusalem the next morning. And as he was coming into Jerusalem, he cursed the fig tree, and then he went into the temple. And we all know the scene where he goes in and he turns over the money tables, uh, the money changers, and he begins to sit in the temple for a couple of days, really letting the priest have it. If you really think about it, he was really preaching, you guys messed up. I'm the one that you should have been looking for. But you keep looking to your laws and your traditions to save you. But here the lamb is in your midst. And whether you understand it or not, I'm going to the cross and I'm going to sacrifice myself to fulfill the prophecies that were spoken of me. Amen. On the 12th, which was uh, more than likely on Tuesday, this is where Mary Magdalene, we know she takes the, the box of uh, ointment. Uh, and usually it was like an olive oil mixed with different uh, aloes, and uh, I think there was myrrh in there, there's frankincense, and it gave it a very aromatic uh, uh, property. And apparently, according to history and the scripture, you know, that one box of ointment was a year's salary. And she went in and anointed Jesus' feet and wept over him because she knew that she had been set free by this man. 
So on Wednesday, this is when uh, Jesus told the disciples to begin making preparations for uh, the Passover. So what you have in front of you here is just a, this is an actual traditional uh, Jewish Passover. Uh, it's, it's called a cedar. And each one of those bowls has a specific representation. So starting on the left, you have a bowl of cloudy water that is actually salt water, and it represents the tears of, of the Israelites. Uh, going clockwise, uh, there you have a, uh, a mixture of almost like a salsa, but it, it has the, the, uh, the fruits in it that were representative of uh, what they were eating in, in Egypt. Yeah, that one. Then you have, you have the egg, the boiled egg, and th that is actually just a representation of, uh, of new life. Uh, I don't have all these memorized. I probably should have. But then you have some stuff in a bowl there. I forget what that is. <laughs> and then you have parsley, which is the bitter herbs. Uh, and then you have the lamb uh, shank. Uh, and then you have, of course, the, the wine, which is the cup of blessing. Okay. And if there's somebody out there that knows what that one is, please tell me after. I don't know what it is. But I'm not, I'm not here really to kind of teach on, on the cedar. But what I'm telling you is that the, uh, this was the preparation that was normal for them. Uh, and they would come and, and have the Last Supper. So we just think about Jesus sitting around the table with his disciples. And, you know, we think about the conversations more than we think about what was actually happening uh, in the circumstances that they were in. Jesus was actually doing everything that he needed to do according to the traditional Jewish cedar. So that's why you have him breaking bread. That's why you have him doing all these things. But... There were some new things that he introduced that weren't in the original cedar. The one of them being, if you go back to the, if you see the, uh, the bread in the middle and it's wrapped in a white linen, right? So in Jewish tradition, they would take one of those three pieces of matzah and they would wrap it in the white linen and then they would go and hide it somewhere in the house. And so the, that was supposed to be the time where the kids get to go run around and, and, and look for the, uh, uh, the bread. And some say, you know, you got the egg, you got this tradition of looking for the bread, that that's where, you know, the Easter thing kind of combined with all the pagan stuff. And that's why, you, you know, you go look for Easter, uh, Easter eggs on Sunday or whatever. But anyway, um, the point is, is that we know that Jesus, when he was placed in the tomb, was wrapped in linen. He is considered the bread of life. And when you look at the, the actual matzah by itself, it's flat and it has holes pierced in it. And then it gives you the impression of stripes. Because when they cooked it, it put lines on it. And we know that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was whipped for our sins. But it is by those that we have been what? We have been set free. We are victorious by it. We are in his triumph. Amen? So, again, this is where Jesus was in the upper room with, the, uh, uh, with his disciples. And we know, of course, this is where G Judas betrayed him. So the evening, Thursday night, Friday, this is where the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, Jesus is betrayed into the hands of the temple guard. So that if you remember the, uh, the actual movie, The Passion of the Christ, which I think, are we, oh, never mind. If you remember that movie, 
it is in this scene where you see those, the temple guard come in and they've got their, their uniforms on and they, they actually take Jesus into custody. And that's the first place that they take him is before the Sanhedrin or the priests. And this is where he is accused and, uh, of being blasphemous and claiming that he's God. And then they, they take him uh, to Pilate. And he's kind of like the, the guy in between, the, the Roman governor and the temple, the temple uh, priesthood. Because there was kind of, at that time, the, the priesthood had a, a very uh, in-depth political control over Israel. And so they were working hand-in-hand hand with uh, trying to keep the peace so they could continue to do what they felt they had to do. Then, of course, uh, we know the story that uh, uh, then he's led to Pilate. That's where we have him standing up on the, uh, on the platform. And they, the, the Israelites are given a choice to choose between either Jesus or Barabbas. And at that point, we know they choose Barabbas, and then Jesus is led away. And they take him to the Praetorian Guard, which is a, uh, uh, it's like the elite of the elite. They're the ones that, they're like the, the special forces of the Roman army. And they had a place where they took him. And, of course, we know the story where they took him and whipped him. And they beat him. And then they brought him back into the Praetorian Armory. And they put, mockingly, they put a, ro uh, a, a purple robe over him. And then they put a crown of thorns on his head. And this is where they began to spit on him. And they mockingly said, yeah, king of the Jews. Yeah, you're God. And then began the procession. It was this procession. They, they, they took him out. They made him carry his own cross. And he began his route down what is known as the Via Della Rosa. The way of suffering, the way of tears. And he went towards the cross. At that time, he... I don't know how many people realized it, but according to Jewish tradition on the Passover, uh, there were normally two sacrifices given. There was one given at 9 o'clock, and then there was one given at 3 p.m. But the word says that this is a high holy day, a special Sabbath. So they actually added an additional sacrifice at noon. And there was something very significant that happened at that time. Go ahead, go to the next slide. And actually, before I cover this, normally at 9 o'clock, like I said, they gave the, uh, uh, the first sacrifice. And it is believed at that time, that's when Jesus was being whipped by the Praetorian Guard, was when that first sacrificial lamb was being, being offered in the temple. And then now we come to 12 o'clock 12 noon, and we read here out of Luke 23, it says, and it was now about the sixth hour. So you got to remember, six-hour, Mark is writing from the, the standpoint of the, uh, at that time, which was the Julian uh, calendar or the uh, Roman calendar and the Roman way of telling time. So six-hour for them would have been noon. And darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The significance being that along with Jesus being on the cross, all of a sudden now, if you look 
uh, over that. I, I specifically chose that photo because it shows an eclipse. And actually, I was doing some research, and, uh, you know, obviously, none of us were there. We can't say why. I mean, God could cause an eclipse even if it wasn't the season for an eclipse, okay? I just want to throw that out there. However, on April 3rd of the year 33, it is actually noted that there was a total eclipse over the nation of Israel that year. Wouldn't it be just cool like God to be able to have that timetable set up where, nope, this is going to happen. No matter what the enemy does, no matter what we believe, this is going to happen. Because God had a purpose and God had a plan. Amen? And of course, we know that Jesus says is, it is finished at 3 p.m. That's when we, they think that that, uh, that happened, when he, he finally died. And of course, at that time, there were also sacrifices going on in the temple. So we have these scriptures. It says, now it was the day of preparation, and on the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Remember I said, high holy day. That's actually another translation. Because of the, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. And then in Exodus 12, we actually have the prophecy where it says, it, this is talking specifically about the, the Passover lamb. It says, it is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. And that's in John 19. So the other two, they actually broke their legs from what we understand. Uh, and, you know, we've seen the different iterations of the passion on TV. And we, most of the time, it'll, it'll show them going up and breaking the legs. And then they get to Jesus, and they don't do it because they see he's dead. And then we see that the Roman centurion has to pierce his side in order to prove that he's dead. And we know that uh, it says in there that both blood and water flowed. Amen? So I'm going to read a little bit out of uh, Zechariah chapter 3. And this is specifically talking about Joshua the high priest. But when I read it, I want you to begin to think about the crucifixion. I want you to think about what is happening with Jesus on the cross. And you'll see why. When I read through it, I'll, I'll uh, highlight a certain point, And you'll understand how much this set of scriptures ties in with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So it says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. This, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. And standing before the angel, we know that Jesus took on the sins of the world. Those were the filthy garments. And he spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, remove the filthy garments from him. Again, he said to them, see, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. And then I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with the garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. 
And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house and also have charge of my, my courts. And I will grant you free access among those who are standing here. Now listen, Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who are sitting here in front today, indeed, these men are a symbol. For behold, I am going to bring in my servant, the branch. And this is where scholars say this refers specifically to Jesus. For behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua on, on one stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave an inscription on it, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, Every one of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and under his fig tree. Amen. It's a powerful set of scriptures. And it also shows us that God had a plan, that he had a purpose, and that that purpose was to cleanse us, to set us free, to put new garments on us. And what Jesus has done is he became the high priest. We know that from reading in the, the, uh, the book of Hebrews, right? That he is a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So therefore, we come to him in that same fashion with our filthy garments. And we're able to stand before him and say, Lord, cleanse me. And he removes our filth and he puts on us a festal robe. Amen. So remember, think about that robe that was given to Jesus mockingly and that wreath that was placed over his head mockingly. And here the enemy was thinking he was making a mockery, but he was actually highlighting the fact that this is truly the Son of God. This is truly who uh, is... It's like even the devil in his lies, he couldn't help but highlight the truth. So this brings us to the third understanding of being able to see the path of the cross in light of the Roman triumph. This one, wow, this one really blew me away. So the Roman triumph was a procession in which victorious generals and later no one but the reigning emperor marched through Rome to present the spoils of conquest to the people of the city. The triumph was a dramatic and powerful declaration of the emperor's sovereignty and deity. And it helped to build the awe and excitement for his greatness among the people. And again, going back to the, the procession of Jesus, it says the procession of the triumph, of the imperial triumph, started at the Praetorian Guard. It started with the, them accepting Caesar as both their lord and king. And they would put a purple robe on him off of the the, uh, the statue of Jupiter, and they would take the wreath off the statue, which was normally gold, and placed it on his head. That's where you get the, you know, you see the Caesar with the wreath made out of gold. That's where you get it from. And they would declare him, before he went out on that procession, both Lord and King. And then as they began to make their way towards, uh, I think it was the Temple of Mars, They also brought along a sacrificial bull. 
that had the same robe and the same wreath that was placed on it. And it was meant to, to be a sacrifice unto their gods in order to establish the reign of the new Caesar. And their way was called the Via Sacra, which was the sacred way. And of course, going back, we can make that correlation with Jesus. He went down the Via Della Rosa, which was the way of suffering and the way of tears. So as they made their way up to uh, the mountain of uh, or Mars Temple, which was Mars Ultor, they continued up what was called the Capitoline Hill. And the Capitoline in in uh, uh, in, in, I guess, Italian, actually means, guess what? The hill of the skull or the hill of the head. Because they said when they were building the temple, they were digging up the foundation and they actually found an intact human head at the time. And that's why they, they got their name. Hey, that's history. I don't know. <laughs> that's kind of crazy. But I think with God in the mix, it's not. God is making a statement. Even in the natural world, he's saying, I put my stamp on this because I want it to be fulfilled everywhere. I want it to come from uh, the world. I want it to come from my people. And I'm going to perform it in front of everybody, including the enemy himself. So when they got to the temple, they would, uh, he would get up on the on the temple steps, and they would offer him a cup of wine, which he ceremonially refused. Doesn't that sound familiar? Go back to the cross. What was Jesus offered? It said that he was offered a cup of wine mixed with myrrh, right? And he refused it. Or actually, it was mixed with gall, right? I'm sorry. There was two times he was offered. But he was, uh, the second time he was uh, offered the one with the gall. And he refused it. And then it was also common for the emperor to be flanked by two witnesses as he went up the steps. And we know that Jesus was crucified between two thieves. Amen? Now this one, this one is the real kicker. Okay? This blew me away. It actually said that on, uh, for Caesar Augustus that there was a portent in the sky. It said that uh, during his uh, imperial uh, triumph that a comet appeared for 24 hours over the skies of Rome. So they believed that he was truly the gods in human form. And they truly believed that he was God. So now fast forward again into the, the situation we have with Jesus on the cross. And God says, oh, you think a comet's great? I'm going to give you darkness over the face of the earth or over that, I'm sorry, over the face of, of Israel for a total of six hours. And I'm going to give you an eclipse. Not only am I going to give you an eclipse, I'm going to give you an earthquake. I'm going to split the ground right down the middle of the temple and split the veil, showing that now everybody who previously did not have access to the Holy of Holies, through Jesus' sacrifice, now has access. That's what God was declaring. He said, now, because of the blood that was shed, my prophecy, my demands, my high set of standards has been fulfilled, that the innocent has died in the place of the guilty. 
And if we, as his believers, can have that faith and say, wait a minute, this can't be coincidence. This can't be something that is just random. This is truth. And if this is true, then every one of us sitting in this house today can have the same victory, the same triumph that Jesus is offering us. He did it for us. So when we feel weak, when we feel beat up, when we feel like we're not walking right or we're not walking straight or we're having stuff coming against us that we don't understand and we don't like, our, our uh, relationships are broken and they're not working the way they should be. We have thoughts and intents in our heart that aren't what they should be. And we bring that to the cross. We let it die because Jesus died for that. He took it with him and and nailed it to the cross and adjudicated it once and for all and said, now, from now on, I declare you righteous. Because by the faith, that the same faith that Abraham showed, we can show that same faith that, yes, God, I need that. I need that strength. I need that power. I need that blood to wash over me, wash my mind clean, wash my heart clean in order to be able to stand before others. And declare that you are both Lord and King. So just think now how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. I remember uh, when I first... How can I say it? When I, when I kind of came back to the Lord, I shared my testimony with you before. And when I was sitting in Korea and I was, you know, really beginning to follow God again and I was listening and worshiping and I was reading all kinds of stuff. I was reading a book. Uh, if you're familiar, if not, it's okay. But uh, the book was by uh, Jesse Duplantis. And it was a story of when he was... Whether he, you know, he said, I don't know whether, just like Paul, whether I was in the spirit or in the flesh, I went to heaven. And I remember reading through that set of, uh, uh, part of that story, and all of a sudden, it became so real with me. As he was describing the scene in front of him, I kid you not, it's like my dorm room just opened up. And it was so real for me that I actually fell on my knees because I couldn't, because I, I, he, when he said these words, he said, uh, I was on my knees in the throne room. And he said, all I could do was look at the floor. And the floor was so beautiful. He said, it was just, it was like gold and glass at the same time. And he said, I tried to lift my eyes up to the throne and I couldn't because the brightness was so intense. But he said, I looked up as much as I could, and I could see Jesus going in and out of that glory. He had free access to God the Father. And he realized at that moment that we can follow Jesus. That yes, following God can be scary at times. Just like the Israelites when they were in the, uh, at, at Mount Horeb, or I'm sorry, Mount Zion. Or no, Mount, uh, I can't think of it right now. But where, the, where, where he got the law, <laughs> Sinai, there we go. I'll get there sooner or later. When he was at Mount Sinai, right, the Israelites were wanting to come up, and he was like, you got to come and, and meet God. And they're like, I don't want to go up there. That's kind of scary. I mean, the whole place is thundering, and there's lightning, and there's clouds, and that's too scary. So 
Moses, you seem like you're doing okay with them. You go up, and then you come back and tell us what he said, and we'll do it. But we know the truth. They didn't do it. And sometimes it takes, not sometimes, I'll retract that. It always is going to take us going into his presence in order for us to come out and be able to do the right thing. We can't just know about God, right? We've got to be able to follow him into the cloud of the glory of God because Jesus bought that access for us. It's a free ticket, church. It's a free ticket into the cleansing heart of God that, yes, it's going to consume us. Yes, it's going to, God is going to uh, wipe away the, the things that we don't like, but at the same time, he's going to challenge us. And it could be scary. But that's why we are a body. That's why we have the people sitting next to us. That's why we need the people sitting next to us because we need each other in order to bring encouragement into our lives and to bring the power of Christ to fruition. For Jesus Being formed in us is the greatest challenge. But Paul the Apostle himself said that we are in this ministry until Christ can be formed in each and every one of you. Because when you have direct connection with Jesus and with God, that's where we get the scripture that says there's no need that any man should teach you. But you have the Holy Spirit that he will bring into remembrance everything that was said about God. It's not about, oh, now I don't need teachers, I don't need people, I don't need church. That's not what that means. That means when you're mature, there is no need that any man will teach you because you've grabbed the hold of the the Spirit of, of Christ, the Holy Spirit, and he's the one that is both transforming you and instructing you, and you value those words that you speak with him every day. You value the word of God. You value the words in prayer. You value the words of prophecy that are spoken over you. And you begin to turn away and deny the words of the enemy. Amen? So on the next day, after the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went begging to Pilate. Basically, they're saying, these guys are going to, you know, they said that he was going to rise again on the third day. Go put a guard on on uh, on the tomb. Because they're going to come and either steal the body, something's going to happen, and then, yeah, then we're going to really be in trouble. (laughs) Amen? But we know that's not what happened. Because on Sunday, which is actually the feast uh, of first fruits, which is the first day after the Sabbath of Passover week, we know it is Resurrection Sunday. And it's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. So guess what God is asking us to do? Wake up. God's saying, wake up. It's time. It's time for you to follow. It's time for you to let go. And it's time for you to let him cleanse your heart and put on those festal robes, put on that crown, because he's, he is both Lord and King. But thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Amen? So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. 
So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. He are there, we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. Amen. That's the last slide. So praise God. Amen. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the power that you have given to us, Lord. That even though we may not specifically understand it yet, but Lord, we have victory through you. We have victory through the cross. We have victory through the spirit of God. And we have victory because of the faith that we have placed in you and in you alone. So, Father, I just lift up to you anybody in this house today that does not have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that each one, each heart that is here in this house has deeply contemplated, Lord, the value of the cross that they see their need, but also more than that, that they see the power of the cross to cleanse them of the sin that would easily cause us to be judged for an eternity. And that Jesus, the fulfiller of the prophecy that God had made because he wanted a way of escape for each and every one of us. So if there's anybody in this house today, and with every head bowed, every eye closed, that maybe today they realize, no, I need, I need him. I realize that this is not just a coincidence. If that's you today, just go ahead and slip up your hand, and we'll pray together here in a second. Thank you. See that hand. Jesus has given us the power to walk in that freedom. Anybody else? Just let the Spirit move in your heart. And we'll just pray together here in a second. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just thank you. You just pray after me. Father, I thank you for the sacrifice of the cross. I thank you that Jesus fulfilled everything that I could never have done on my own. And I repent of my sin this morning and I come before you in faith and belief that you're going to heal me, that you're going to deliver me, and that you're going to set me free from both sin and death. And I want you to come into my heart this morning and dwell with me, walk with me, show me the way so that I can follow you into that victory and down that road of triumph. Because I believe that, Jesus, you are the Son of God and that you died specifically for my sins. And in that, I place my hope and my faith forever. In Jesus' name.